Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology. We retell the tale, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode number 39 of Fireside, the Irish Storytelling Podcast. We are coming to you, as always, from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network studio here in Dublin. My word, it has been quite a week. It is really exciting coming back into the studio this week as this is the first episode of Fireside I've recorded since we have done our very first live show, the Fireside Sessions Beginnings. <clears throat> Beg your pardon, was last week. It was last week uh, in Bellow Bar in Dublin and what a night it was. For anyone listening who, was, uh, who came along, thank you so much. Um, your support was so incredibly appreciated. It was wonderful to see familiar faces there, but even more rewarding to see so many uh, people I didn't know at the gig because that just makes it feel like this is the right thing and it makes it feel like this podcast is growing and that these live shows could grow too. The night was enough of a success and went well enough that I can confirm we are going to do it again. We are going to do another live show at Halloween. So anyone who wasn't around Dublin, who will be around then, you can come along yourself. For any listeners outside of Ireland, Uh, fear not because we did record the Fireside Sessions beginnings. It was an evening of storytelling, uh, both in music and in story itself. It was, I was trying something different, trying something new, trying to create a show that wasn't, you know, that didn't have to be one thing or the other, that was trying to just be its own thing, which was an evening of storytelling with some music throughout. But the focus was always on the stories. So, for example, the songs we did were a lot of uh, old Irish folk songs, but we focused a lot on the stories of the songs, like the way that the Clancy Brothers or Planksty or the Dubliners or any of the great old Irish folk bands and performers used to. It That was always my favourite thing about artists like that, is that they would tell the stories of these songs, and that was almost as much a part of the performance. And it's a thing that's not really done as much anymore. And so I didn't know if it would work or if it wouldn't. You know, maybe these things fell from popularity for a reason. But I disagreed with that. And we did that. And the audience was so, so receptive to it. And the feedback was incredible. It was it was genuinely a little overwhelming at times, which was so, so lovely. And there was so much to be learned from it because it was a very first, it was a first time gig. There was naturally going to be teething problems to it. We learned some things that worked, some things that didn't work. But that made it so much more valuable 
uh, going forward. I know now a little more in my own head what it is, and I'm trying to push the next one as well. But I won't reveal. I have many, many plans for our Halloween special, but I won't do it tell you any more now here because I want to get everything a bit more set in stone, want to get a date in place before and get things a bit more concrete before I reveal it all to you. But very, very exciting times ahead here at Fireside. And it's great coming back. It's great coming back into the studio now, the place, the base, you know, the foundation, you know, where this podcast is at its home, which is the podcast itself and the recording of it, because it now just feels that things have changed a little bit and that this podcast is growing, because it's great that I, when we upload these episodes of the podcast onto our hosting site, Audio Boom, that I can see how many people have listened to it, and also where in the world the podcast is being listened to, That's and what cities in the world. That's incredible to have that kind of data and just to really see the span of the podcast and where, where people can and are listening to it. But it was a totally different thing, a very strange and surreal thing to be doing it to a live audience right there rather than just a soundproofed room. Uh, it was so it was a totally different thing and just a, a really really wonderful experience so thanks so much to everyone who came thank you so much to my guests we had Angus O. McAnally Katie McCann Thomas Kane Byrne my own brother Kieran Olihan Dara Healy from Castle Bar came over who's the box player from Boxing Banjo they were each each and every one of them was exactly what I wanted them to be and more I, I picked very very different storytellers and different performers and I wanted them to just be themselves and do themselves and not try and cater to what the night was but just do what I thought they would do naturally and each and every one of them did that and when you all listen to the live podcast which we're hopefully going to get mastered and edited uh, we'll see you know again there's going to be teething problems hopefully I have not listened to the recording of the night yet myself but I feel confident that it will certainly be of a certain quality that we can release it won't be the podcast hug as blind boy calls it of uh of the audio fidelity of an, an in studio of course but people people know that and i definitely won't release it as uh, a substitute for a weekly podcast it may end up being uh uh we may end up holding on to it for a little bit or may end up using it uh, to try and get the patreon off the ground but that is, uh, I still have to decide that. Then I still have to see what the quality of it ends up being once we have it mixed and mastered. But I will keep you all in touch with that for anyone who does, who wasn't able to make it along to the night, but is interested in seeing and listening to what we cooked up. But it gives me great pleasure today to be back in the studio with a new folktale. If this is your very first time listening, this is all, of course, going to be, what? What is he talking about? I'm going to listen to something else. Please do not stay with us right here. Uh, you're very welcome along if this is your first time listening. And if you are a returning listener, of course, you're very welcome back. This is a great, I think this might be a great intro episode if you've just lashed this on. You've probably been intrigued by the very uh, alliterative name this is actually one, these are a collection of stories I want to do for a long time and I actually didn't think it would be possible to do anymore, but I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, please do uh, give it a rating and a comment on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. These ratings, these comments, they do make a difference. They do help it climb and become more and more of a thing. Uh, follow me on Instagram 
<clears throat> at Fireside Bard, all one word. If you do follow me already and you followed me on my previous Instagram handle, uh, which was Olahan Solo, it is the same Instagram account, but just I found changing the name has made it a little bit more accessible and a little bit easier to find. Although I did get a I did get a message from a from a listener of this podcast who said I've you know you you say your name on on Instagram is Olahan Solo and it's actually Fireside Bard. It took me a long time to find you. I am aware that yes, anyone listening to this podcast from the beginning is going to be for the first thirty five odd episodes hearing a totally different Instagram name. But I do think the change in name was worthwhile. Uh, it's it started to have a little bit more traction in terms of tagging and uh, and and followers. Because now the Instagram is going to be more and more where I can announce things about the live shows and about the other details about how the podcast and the world of the podcast is growing, and most significantly with our new special guest who I'll introduce after the story today. But these stories, let's get down to it. That's a rather long intro, but it was very exciting to talk about that stuff, and I hope that my enthusiasm for that does come across and isn't boring to listen to. Because these are four foul, fa- four foul folk tales featuring a fox. This is a, these are a collection. They weren't really a collection. These were a section of stories in the Folk Tales of Ireland book by Sean O'Sullivan from the Irish Folklore Commission. The Folk Tales of Ireland book was one of the very first books I got. Uh, it's one of my favorite collections of the Folk Tales of Ireland. They're one of the they're one of the freshest tellings of these tales I've found. <clears throat> Sean O'Sullivan did fantastic work with the Folklore Commission. And these were four stories that none of which were meaty enough, none of them were long enough to have their own episodes themselves. But because there were four stories that each featured a fox, I thought you could very easily put the four of these together because I think this possibility of being able to do episodes... Because I always, I never want the episodes, the stories in an episodes to be shorter than about 10 or 15 minutes. That seems to be the usual average length of the story. Some are a bit longer, some are a bit shorter, but that is very much the average length I like to go for to kind of give it the balance of like enough of a story to get you through the commute and also with the chat and the banter and the waffle that I go on with myself as well. So it feels more like I'm talking to you as well, but... So this, I hope, will open up a new avenue of possibilities of grouping little smaller sections of stories together. And we'll see what you what you all think of them yourself anyway. But I'll get right down to it. These are the stories themselves. This is Four Fell Folktales featuring a fox on Fireside. Four Fell Folktales featuring a fox. Tale One The Fox and the Heron. Once upon a time, there was a heron and a wren. The wren had just got himself married to a lovely lady wren, and they were keen to start a family. But the wedding had left the wren cash poor. Yes, weddings cost a fortune even for birds. The heron was one of the wealthiest creatures in the area, owning four milk cows, from whom she sold butter. One day the wren went to the heron and said, This wedding has bled me dry. I couldn't have a loan of twenty quid, could I? I didn't know you got married. Where was my invitation? It was a very small affair. It wasn't. Uh, Just just friends and family. Uh, Only wrens, really. 
another lie. Uh, you would have had to crouch down a lot. That part is true. You are a bit of a, a, a crane. You get it? A bad attempt at humour. Oh yeah, I get it. Um, it's only cool for a heron or a crane to make a heron crane joke. Not you, tiny. Uh, sorry, I, I jest, I jest. Uh, but I, I do need money. Uh, myself and the missus want to start a family and a score would go a long way. And when will you pay me back? Uh, in a year, tops, I promise. You've got some cheek on you, little Wren. But I do have a soft spot for some serious stones. I loan you the money, but you must pay it back to me by this day next year. The heron gave the wren the cash, and the little bird was off. A year came and went, and the heron saw no sign of the wren, and even less sign of the money. Wrens were notorious tricksters, so the heron felt like a fool for trusting one. The big bird flew in search of the wren's nest. When she arrived, she saw twelve of the tiny birds all threshing oats from their stalks. They moved so quickly and were such a small size, even when fully grown, the heron could not tell parent from child, and certainly not which was the wren that owed her a debt. Defeated, the heron was too deflated to fly, so she walked home on her long and spindly legs. On her way, she spotted a fox lounging on a bed of grass. Foxes have an astonishing ability to look smug and satisfied, even sitting perfectly still, like furried Victorian dandies. Why do you look so low, big bird? said the red dog. I was ripped off by a bird smaller than my own beak, and I can't even tell him apart from his family threshing oats to get my money back. Why don't you go back and say to the birds... Oh, you'd know which of you was the big, strong daddy, wouldn't you? The heron was intrigued and went back to the wren's nest. There the birds were still busy with the oats, and the heron called out, Oh, yes, you'd, you'd know which of you was the big, strong daddy. And the cocky, arrogant wren who owed the heron the cash flew up at that remark and replied, You should have seen me in my youth. I was even stronger. I did see you a year ago when you borrowed money you have yet to pay back. The heron pinned the tiny bird to the tree. The wren didn't feel very strong now. Fearing for his own and his family's life, the wren was forced to pay back the loan. Flying home feeling satisfied, the heron once again passed the fox. She flew down to thank him. That worked a treat. How did you know the right wren would identify himself? Well, any wren that would rip off a heron obviously thinks a lot of himself, and so I thought they wouldn't be able to resist showing off. How can I ever thank you? Oh, no need to thank me. It's a gift. If anything, you shouldn't stop there. You have money that was owed to you. I can make it that you won't have to spend a penny of that on food. In fact, you won't even have to go hunting for food. How? asked the heron. Go over to that group of men gathered by the lake. Uh, tell them you've left a fortune at the bottom of it and that you'll give them a reward if they help you drain it. They'll have to throw every fish there is out of that water and then you can catch them without even getting your beak wet. 
The heron did just this, and again, it worked like magic. She smooth-talked the men at the lake. They began to drain the lake bucket by bucket and pail by pail, throwing fleshy, juicy fish out with each load. One by one, the heron carried the biggest of these home until she had enough food to last her through the winter. She was so impressed with the cunning of the fox that had helped her that she began to fall in love with him. And soon, the fox and the heron were married. But not even domestic bliss can change a creature's nature. The heron had four dairy cows. I don't know if these cows could also talk as the fox and the heron can, or if they are just cow cows, as we would see in fields chewing grass today. But regardless, from these cows, the heron used to make milk that she churned to butter. She would then sell it to the local market. And one day, the fox smelled the fresh butter and went over for a taste. He devoured the contents of each churn, leaving only a layer of butter on the top of the receptacles so that no one would ever know. The perfect crime. It was only when the heron brought the admittedly light churns to market she discovered what had happened. The heron was furious with her new husband, but he had taught her well. She would play a cunning plan on the cunning fox. The heron flew around until she found a shepherd with four white sheep and one black lamb. She landed in front of them all. I am the herald heron, and I have come to warn you that tonight your black lamb will be taken by a fox. Not the lamb. What time will this happen? I must protect him. Um, about midnight, but just keep a watchful eye. With the first part of the cunning plan in place, the heron flew home, lay in bed, and called to the fox. My love, I am dying. The fox was heartbroken. Is there nothing I can do, my love? I would give my life to see you well again. The heron stifled a grin. There is only one thing that would make me well again. The flesh of a black lamb. The shepherd in the next village has one. I will get that lamb tonight, and the fox skulked off. At midnight, like clockwork, the fox arrived in the shepherd's field and searched for the lamb, but what he found instead was a pack of giant, savage guard dogs drooling at the mouth, their teeth bared. The hounds hunted the fox down and began to tear the formerly cunning creature to pieces. All the while they did... The heron was flying overhead, watching and laughing. <laughs> I'm sure all that butter you ate is making you extra delicious. She had learned well. The heron had outwitted the fox. Neither love nor speech can take away the fact that they were all still wild animals. The End <laughs> Tale 2. The Fox on Inishki. Once upon a time, the county of Mayo was terrorized, and not by armies or fairies, but by one single fox. Try as the people of the U County might try, there was no catching or outwitting this cunning crater. From Westport to Castlebar, people lived in fear of the fox. One summer's day, a man was carrying a donkey load of fish from the beach back to town. The fox fancied a feed, and didn't feel like hunting for it. 
So he lay down in the middle of the road and pretended to be dead. When the man came upon the body, he knew the fox fur was worth a lot of money, so he threw the corpse on the donkey's back and carried it on his way. Without the poor man even noticing a thing, the fox began to toss each and every fish off the back of the donkey. When the entire bounty was loose, the fox hopped off the saddle and trotted back along the road, picking up each fish like a breadcrumb trail. It wasn't just the people the fox terrorised. He would go to a lakeside and lure a gaggle of geese over to the shore with a charming word or two, and when they were within reach, he would bite and crush their necks and carry them off for a hearty feed. Neither man nor fish nor bird was safe, and no one could ever catch the devil. But one day, a boat arrived on the mainland from the island of Inishki, which lay just off the west coast of Mayo. The fox looked out at the island and thought if he could make it over there, he could rule and terrorize a whole new land, and it being so small, it would be far easier to hunt, with his prey only being able to run so far. So once again the fox lay dead on the beach. When the captain of the boat arrived and saw the valuable fox skin, he tossed the animal on the boat. The Inishkeans had come to the mainland to get some food and luxury items they couldn't grow or get themselves on the island. Needless to say, in transit, the fox ate every morsel without a single sailor noticing anything. When he arrived on Inishki, the fox made his nest at the top of the highest cliff he could find, which he accessed by a piece of briar that hung from the edge. With a bird's eye view of the island, the fox felt like the king of Inishki. He would hunt and steal from every creature alive on the island, and whenever men would send dogs to hunt the thief, they would chase him up to the top of the cliff, but the fox would then grab hold of the briar and climb to safety. The dogs who had raced up the steep cliff would often then fall to their untimely deaths, the poor pooches. But one Inishkian man, who had lost many a dog this way, decided he would try and climb the cliff himself, to find out just how the fox kept escaping. When he reached the top, he saw the prickly briar and cut it off. But then, thinking as he thought the fox might, the man placed the briar back on the cliff's edge, as if it was still attached. He then clambered back down and awaited the next hunt. Sure enough, that night... The fox was making off with his latest prize. Chased by a pack of particularly large hounds, he scampered up the cliff and smugly snatched the briar, only for the vine to come away from the edge and for the fox to fall right into the jaws of the vengeful and hungry hounds. And that was the end of the fox on Inishki. The End <laughs> Tale 3 The Fox and the Magpie In another time and in another place, the Irish Midlands to be precise, there was once a magpie who had nested safely in a holly bush. There she lay and hatched three baby chicks. The magpie thought her babies safe in the prickly leaves of the holly bush, but one day while mother was out retrieving food for her young, a fox appeared. Not particularly bothered by the prickles, and he ate the three chicks, every one. When the mother came back to the empty nest, she grieved for her babies and swore revenge. One day the magpie flew over her enemy and saw him at leisure in an open field. She flew down. Good morning. 
Or it might be for you, but I still haven't eaten today. There's nothing around for me to hunt. The magpie saw her opportunity and said, I actually found a great surplus of food this morning. I'm only a small bird and I've eaten my fill. I'd save it, but the food will not stay fresh for long. Nothing would make me happier than to share it with you. Would you? said the fox. Oh, that would be wonderful, because I really didn't fancy hunting today. Thank you so much. Not at all. And the magpie flew off. If that monster wants a feed, I'll give him the greatest feed he's ever had, thought the magpie. Now, like foxes, magpies are noted thieves. But unlike foxes, magpies usually steal shiny objects. But on this occasion, the magpie made an exception. She came upon two girls carrying batches of bread and butter to the men working in the peat bogs. The magpie swooped down and went to attack the girls until the children screamed, dropped the bread, and ran away. Not liking to frighten children, the magpie felt bad. But needs must ruled, and now the magpie had the fox's feed. Needing to take several trips, the magpie brought the fox back the batches of bread and butter. The gluttonous fox ate way beyond his appetite until he was so full he couldn't move. "'Oh, oh, God, I've eaten too much. "'I'm about to burst. I think I may die.' "'Don't worry,' said the magpie. "'I'll fetch a doctor and bring you back a purgative.' "'What in the name of the gods is a purgative? "'It'll pump the food out of your stomach.' The magpie left the fox vegetating on the grass and went into the town where he found a farmer he knew too had been terrorized by the fox. Sir, I know you have been terrorized by the fox. Well, he's in a field, unable to move. Now is the time for you to exact your revenge. Jesus Christ! A talking magpie, said the farmer. Well, someone had to say it eventually. But the farmer did indeed release the hounds, who followed the magpie back to the field where lay the fox. Did you get the purgative? I got you one better. The doctor himself is coming. The fox lay in wait until he pricked up his ears and heard the sound of dogs barking. The farmer's hounds, they're coming to get me. No, they're not, reassured the magpie. They're just out hunting a rabbit. But the fox was not convinced. He attempted to stand, but found he couldn't. He fell to the ground, helpless as the hounds reached the field and pumped his stomach with their sharp teeth as the magpie rose up into the air and watched her plan come to fruition. The fox got his purgative, and the magpie babies were avenged. The End Tale 4 The Fox and the Eagle If any of you are somehow still feeling sorry for the fox, there was one time on the banks of a lake in Killarney in County Kerry when a fox had nothing to eat. Starving, he looked out at a duck with her three ducklings swimming happily safe in the middle of the lake. The fox tried desperately to think of a way to catch them. Eventually, he saw a large water parsnip plant with two rather large leaves on either side. 
The fox tore the leaves from the plant, and like a sketch in an old vaudeville show, using the water plant as a disguise, the fox swam out and snatched one of the ducklings and lay it on the lake shore. Feeling very pleased with yet another cunning plan, the fox decided he would not quit while he was ahead. After all, he did not know where the next meal was going to come from, and this plan had worked particularly well. So clutching the leaves in his mouth again, the fox swam back out and plucked another baby duck. He returned to the shore and lay it next to the other. The fox swam back out for the final duckling, but when he returned, found that the first two ducklings were gone. My cunning plan, cried the fox. What have I got to show for it? One measly duckling, there's treachery afoot. The fox knew there was only one creature who was capable of stealing from him, a great eagle who lived on a clifftop nearby. The fox was helpless to fight off the fierce and taloned creature, so he would have to use his wits. With his one remaining duckling, the fox searched until he found a fire that had been lit by some travellers, which was nearly out. The fox dragged the duckling back and forth through the sparkling embers of the dying fire. Once this was done, the fox took the duckling to an open plain and left it there. Sure enough, it wasn't long before the great eagle swooped down to collect the final prize. But when the eagle dropped the body into the dry nest, the embers embedded in the duckling's fur caught fire and the eagle's nest burst into flames. The three cooked ducklings fell from the cliff top, along with three of the eagle's own chicks and the fox had six birds for dinner instead of three. The eagle never stole from the fox again. The end. And those are four foul folktales featuring a fox. And there we have it. Four foul folktales featuring a fox on Fireside. What did you think of them? Be sure to be letting me know. Yes, so these four tales came from Folk Tales of Ireland by Sean O'Sullivan, or collected by Sean O'Sullivan, who was the head of the Irish Folklore Commission. This was a book that I bought not long after I started the podcast, or maybe just before I started recording. It was my first, like, other than the W.B. Yeats and Lady Gregory books, it was my first other source and I found it in Hodgson Figgis. There was only one copy of it. And it's a small book. Like, it's, it looks like a very normal, you know, like just two, three hundred page book, uh, A5 size, you know, but it was 40 quid. And it just, like, it was very hard to justify, but no, not really. But, like, it was such, it was such an expensive, it was the very most expensive book I've bought on this so far. Uh, because, I don't know, I guess it must be it must be hard to get or you know, it's it's not on like like a textbook, so maybe it's taught in like folklore courses in college and stuff and so uh, that has made it more expensive. But it was worth every every cent. Uh it is beautifully written, like it's not written in an outdated, archaic kind of way, and there are brilliant, brilliant stories from it. We haven't done a story from it for a long time, and I'll tell you the actual truth about that. I thought I'd lost the book. I thought I left the book in America or Germany. I brought it with me on my travels and I was sure that I left it in one or the other. And 
I've been using mostly uh, other other ones that I've downloaded onto my Kindle that I got since, uh, including the thirty two, you know, the Gothic stories from the thirty two counties and the Jacob jo- uh, Joseph Jacobs books, and obviously then more from W. B. Yeats and Lady Gregory. And we had the couple from J.M. Singh's book on the Iron Islands. But I really did miss this book of folktales in Ireland by Sean O'Sullivan. But again, as I said, it was so expensive. Uh, it was going to be a while before I could justify buying a second copy of it. But then, wasn't I do a clean of the room, of my bedroom, in my apartment, a couple of weeks ago. And there, what do I find? Under the bed, but folktales of Ireland. And so, as a sign that the fairies brought it back to me... I decided I'd I'd dive right back into it. And right from my first read through, the first section of stories in this book, what is it called exactly? There's a beautiful ford in this by Sean O'Sullivan where he talks about, you know, the Irish as storytellers, which is glorious. So part one is called Animals and Birds. And this is pretty much the entire Animals and Birds sections. There are a couple of other bird tales uh, but these were the four stories about a fox that I wanted to do. I loved, like, my two favorites are definitely the stories that book end it. I love the story of the fox and the heron. There's something about the story about the fox and the heron, because this is obviously this world of talking animals, which you haven't really had any experience of at all before, despite that being quite a common thing in fairy tales of talking animals. We've had very little of that in Irish folklore. We had uh, we had Monaker and Manaker a few weeks ago, where we had animals talking. But that, but in that, everything was talking. Axes were talking. Trees were talking. This was a strange one because you have these animals seemingly living in harmony with human beings in a very Bojack Horseman kind of world. But these animals don't seem to be anthropomorphic. They seem to genuinely just be able to talk. They seem to be both civilized and be wild animals. You know, there's talk of the heron flying, but still being like a dairy farmer as well. It's hard to know whether they have clothes. I picture them having both clothes and not having clothes. Like, just like a waistcoat and no pants, you know. And... In that we have we have a featuring a wren, which of course is like the trickster. The wren is known as the king of all birds because of a great race between all of the birds in which uh, the great eagle was going to win and the wren had nestled himself in the eagle's back and the contest was to see who could fly the highest. So when the eagle reached its highest height, the wren leapt up from the eagle's back and won the race and was declared the king of all birds. But the wren is branded a trickster and a charlatan not to be trusted because of that. And so it's nice to see an example of that, of an untrustworthy wren. And I love it because I don't know if it's like wrens are tiny, tiny little lads. And herons are massive, terrifying yokes. I, uh, anyone who saw my show Cassowary last year in Theatre Upstairs, which was about ornithophobia, which was about a fear of birds, uh, will remember that there was an opening tale from it, which actually is a true story where I had a... I had 10 goldfish when I was uh, a child, uh, which we used to keep in a bathtub out in our back garden. And uh, one day a heron flew over and uh, ate them all, ate all 10 fish. And like we don't live near like a lake or like we live on the coast, but like not, not the house is, is up a big hill. And, you know, like it's it's still a couple of kilometers away from the beach, you know, like it's not an area a heron would be flying around and they came and ate them all so affect them but the heron is the one who 
comes out on top in this. So what seems to be the general consensus on foxes in Ireland gone by? Well, I suppose, yeah, they are they are devils, like they are feckers. You know, you're thinking about a very agricultural society. You're thinking about a lot of farming communities. And, of course, a fox is going to be nothing but bad news for that. Taking chickens, you know, sure, killing sheep as well, you know, having a good go. There is this, obviously, this running thing of foxes being cunning and sneaky and untrustworthy. Beautifully done and used as a kind of racial metaphor in uh, Zootopia or Zootropolis, as it was known as over here, because I think there was a war with, like, a zoo in Denmark or something. But Zootopia is obviously the much better name because that's actually a pun. Uh, but if anyone sees more recent Disney movie, brilliant, really, really good movie uh, featuring Jason Bateman as as a sly fox, uh, which is it's a wonderful, and I had that in mind. But most of all for these stories, I, of course, had Roald Dahl in mind uh, with the idea of fantastic Mr. Fox. These stories seem to operate on a very, very similar level to how animals are in in the works of Roald Dahl, particularly Fantastic Mr. Fox. In Fantastic Mr. Fox, the animals are civilized, they live in houses, they talk, they talk to each other, they can talk to humans, but they are still wild animals, and that is kind of the message of it. It's one of my favorite films of all time, the Wes Anderson adaptation of that, and I think the very, very most faithful adaptation of a Roald Dahl book on screen featuring as bizarre and creepy as those books can be it was great to see that done in that kind of terrifying stop motion it's a stunning film it's a stunning soundtrack everything about it is glorious if you've never seen it watch that today but that has a very similar vibe to how these animal stories are portrayed and it's just yeah various various tales of not wanting to trust foxes you know, very much like the fairies, the moral is always, you know, just don't just stay involved, don't get involved with fairies in any way. It's a very similar, just don't get involved with foxes. Or just if you see a fox, you know, it might look like a cute and cuddly little dog. Because they are, they're gorgeous. They're gorgeous creatures, foxes. Uh, Shinnocks, as it is in Irish. Uh, but yeah, they will, uh, they are still wild animals. And they'll steal your chickens. They'll say anything they can get. It's a... Uh, it's lovely living in Dublin. You'll occasionally see see an old fox running through. It always gets a gets a bit of a lift. So that was first tale. Tale two was the fox and Inishki. Yeah, so that we have him less anthropomorphic there, less talking, and just a very, very clever fox. And I love this image of him going over going over to the island. You know, wanting to be the king of this island and thinking he can rule over this small island. Uh, and then meeting the untimely end. Three out of the four stories, of course, end with the fox being torn to pieces in particularly graphic and gruesome ways, which is why I finished with the story of, uh, of the fox coming out on top. You know, I thought he deserved that. No, he didn't. I mean, he deserved everything he got in the other ones for being tricky and trickster. Uh, but I wanted to finish with the with a, a good note for the fox after I'm going through so much. I initially had this idea when I thought I'd do this worry. I would imagine it was the same fox in each story, but that's very hard, you know, when he ends up being torn apart at the end of each one. So it's a bit Kenny in South Park or a Doctor Who kind of regeneration thing. The fox and the eagle, I think, is is my other favorite because of the end, because of the planet itself. The planet itself is so clever. This idea of dragging a dead duckling through embers of a fire and this visual of this 
eagle's nest exploding into flames and killing the bird's own babies as well. They are gruesome, of course, because you're you're having a picture baby ducklings and baby chicks being eaten and murdered and you just kind of have to go with that and that's what i love and i say that in the first story at the end you know these are civilized but they are wild animals and it is very true to that gruesome gruesome grim nature i would i could talk ages about these but i better wrap it up because my studio time is coming to an end but thank you so much i really hope you enjoyed those let me know what you think of them uh, because there are so many if i had any one complaint about the folktales of ireland book by sean o'sullivan is that loads of the stories are quite short whereas if this worked and i think it did i, I really enjoyed doing this it was something a bit different there is other like little collections of stories that won't work as uh, sto- that won't work as stories on their own they can't be in their own episode but put together in a theme or in a collection they work quite well so that could be another avenue for us to explore next week will be episode 40 of fireside which is crazy it's mad it's insane and i'm so excited and it's a very exciting time for the podcast so thank you so much to you for continuing to listen if this is your first time listening please continue why don't you go right back to the beginning see what we're building up to next week we'll go back to mythology got a great tale for you next week that i won't spoil but um please do continue to like share and subscribe on social media at fireside bard on instagram copy uh comment ratings all that thanks so much to patty patty and uh, alan and everyone here at head stuff to jamie my producer to all you the listeners i will see you all next week you will hear me all next time round the fireside goodbye this podcast is part of the head stuff podcast network